thing at the end of it, and I'm like, oh my god, this is it. Ooh, and then we start. Ooh, not fun. <clears throat> really? Is that exactly how you feel, Rob? Yeah, I'm, I feel like that. I told you for three or four hours before the podcast starts. Wow. I know. You must you must find ways to medicate yourself to keep yourself from going crazy. Well, we do try some things, yes. We might have to start doing some tests for the, you know, the, the testing before we pod. <laughs> we might end up having to get some replacements. We might be down to like, I don't know. Yeah. Hey, I have begged to be replaced and I'm still here. So we won't let, we won't let you go. We are never going to give you up. We're never going to let you go. We're never going to run around and get rid of you or something like that. Does that make sense? Even so. Yes. Demi is back. A little lyrical. Was was Demi not here for a while? Demi, when was the last time you were on? Weren't you on last well, week? I, I've been kind of like every other week. It's hard, you know, because I've got Wednesday. So every Wednesday through Friday, I'm training. And um, and then that leaves Monday and Tuesday to where I can really make calls, send emails, do other stuff. And uh, anyway, um, it's just it's just hard sometimes to, to catch every Tuesday. So I've been about every other week. But um, yeah, I don't feel like it's been all that long. But anyway, I appreciate being appreciated. So thank you very much for the warm welcome. Welcome back, Toxis06SI. Appreciate having <laughs> so, I It must be because I never leave that nobody's ever yeah. excited to yeah. see me. Do you think that's it? <laughs> you can check out, but you can never leave. That's right. <laughs> I should have been a guitar. That was me starting the... So never mind. All right. Well, here we are. What's up, guys? How you guys doing? Doing great. Loving the do gear, Nate. You're looking sharp, yeah, man. Say, do I look better today than I do most days? I'm just like, yeah, let me uh, just kind of. You look oh, a little pale. My cat didn't. Hey. I don't know. That's rude. Yeah, our new jerseys are in, and these things are sweet. Here's the jersey. Uh, and I guess um, here are the jackets. And if you ordered one of these, you're going to have one pretty soon because they are being shipped out. And here's my last name on the back. Do I have to wear one with your name on it? Uh, you can only wear one. Well, Rob, once once you committed to me the way that you committed to me, your last name is Mindem now, too. Don't you know that? Uh. <laughs> what the hell was that? Well, at least I can pronounce it right. Mindham. Yeah, Mindham. Right, night. So mind ham. Yeah, night mind ham. Yeah, that's that's how it goes. All right. So, uh, if you want one of those sweet jerseys, uh, we have a few extra in stock at all sizes, pretty much from medium mm -hmm. all the way up until I think four XL. I think. So that is, uh, yeah. Just reach out to the podcast. Reach out to me. Reach out to any of these clowns, I guess, and uh, it'll get back to me eventually. I think so. Uh, other than that, I do want to give a quick Patreon update because the Patreon, uh, I haven't really talked about that recently. And I wanted to give shout outs while we do a very old school uh, podcast today. So anybody who's been listening for more than about two years, you can remember what the show was like about two years ago. This is what it's going to be like today, all the way through. If you ask nicely, Demetrius might even do a coach's corner, though I can't guarantee that. Maybe the only I'll come up with some good questions for Demi. Yeah, Demetrius only uh, does uh, coaches' corners when he's pissed off about something he hears about on AC <laughs> I'm like, billiards. I'm like, I'm like, I go on rants like Jim Telfer, but not quite. 
well, 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 you you let other people talk every now. You're and just and, uh, tell you're more sober when you do it. That's the only difference. <laughs> we miss you, Jim. I hope you're feeling better. Jim's got the, uh, the coronas. Yeah, for the second, yeah, Jim's got the Rona for the second time in three months. So that'll tell you how crappy his uh his immune system is. He can't even fight off the Corona for more than two months at a time. So that's fun. And he's not here, so we can pick on him all we want. Although if we pick on him too much, you might end up joining in, and then then it'll just be gross. Ugh, no good. All right, so like I said, let's do a Patreon update. Uh, I have a lot of people to thank here. Uh, there's been a lot of people that have joined in the last few months. Uh, I think the incentive for, um, I guess, all of this sweet gear that we're giving away each month is uh, motivation. But I want to give a... Huge shout out. I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of January. So thank you very much to uh, Ed Ladawi, uh, Charles Bozeman, Chris Wagner, uh, Ben Poppies, although he deleted right away. So less of a shout out, but thank you still. Uh, Mike Sopko, Magnus Edsto, Cody Wedding, Chris McManus, uh, Eric Zuberbeer, Zuberbeer. Hopefully that's right. Sorry. Uh, Chris Henry. Amy Ubre, Derek Murray, who is actually in here. Oh, wait, no, he's, well, no, Kurt Murray's in here, and he's in there, too. So, Kurt Murray, uh, Kurt and Derek, are you guys related? That'd be interesting. It's spelled the same way. All right, anyways, Garrett Owens, Rick White, Patrick Neal, Chris Cherry, uh, Tom Kosha, Chad Davis, Ben Kent, and Matt Poland. We've had a bunch of people who have joined in. Hey, we got Patrick and Kurt. Perfect. Uh, do, 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 do. well, that's a question for you that you can handle here in a second. So, uh, we are giving away prizes every single month. And if you would like to join the, the podcast Patreon, which is really, um, I guess the best way to supporting us and allowing us to continue doing this show, uh, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash queue it up something. I think it's queued up, queued up podcast. Is it queued up something? Yeah. I'll get that. I'll get that. Demetrius, you can answer that question. Yeah. So I, uh, I the question is uh, about posting a favorite pool drill. So one thing I, I, I always, my first reflex is always like, you know, everybody needs to drill different things. I consider it like going to the gym, you know, uh, maybe that's not even the best example because I feel like we could all benefit from similar exercises. But like if I see somebody play, there are some people that need to develop, you know, some people need to work on stroke and tip accuracy, and maybe there are certain drills that hit that. Other people, you know, there's certain drills where uh, if they're just setting up a ball and shooting it again and again, they get too sloppy on their rhythm and pre-shot. So maybe they're better off doing something where all the balls are on the table, they're working through it, so it's more game-like. So I always like to watch somebody play before I start lobbing off drills for them to work on. That being said, uh, there's like a couple kind of universal, like without knowing anything about how somebody plays, uh, these are things that I think everyone can benefit and enjoy from. And that one of them is the line drill where you put uh, 15 balls across the second diamond line. For example, like the kitchen line, you know, you put 15 balls across and on a bar table, you can fit about 13. Um, and then you just shoot them all in the nearest corner pocket. That's like level one is when they're by the second diamond. So they're only two diamonds from the corners. You start with ball in hand on the other side. You just run all 15 balls in the bottom two pockets. Yeah. Then you move them to the third diamond, then the side pocket line, then the fifth diamond, and then finally the you know the kitchen line where you're shooting them in the far pockets. And it gets tougher and tougher. And by the time you get – like I think personally I don't even bother with the second diamond or the third diamond anymore. I start with the side pocket line. Right. 
And and by the time on a nine foot table with reasonably tough pockets, by the time you get to that fifth diamond, every shot, none of the shots are tough. Like I'm going to practice long jack the bank shots or something. They're not like that tough. Like you're the favorite to make every one of them, but every one of them is a tester. And what you end up so like if I had to talk about what skills that hits, it's uh you know it, it works on pre shot routine and rhythm. It works on the aiming for thicker than half ball hits because you're 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 shooting a long ways away. And you're also having to come back like with a, either a draw shot or a stun to the rail and back. So you're always having to hit below center. So your tip accuracy and your timing. Uh, when people first start this drill, they're whacking the balls hard to force them back. And so what I've seen is in the beginning, they're leaving themselves kind of tied on the balls or rattling balls out trying to force the cue ball back. And then as they start getting in stroke, then they start drawing the cue ball to the end rail where they're jacked up off the end rail. And eventually they get to where they're using a lower tip and a softer swing and a good timing. And the ball's just floating back, floating back, floating back. So it's hitting rhythm and tip accuracy, aiming. Uh, and, and then finally, one last thing is, is that once you get to where you're on the fifth or fifth diameter or so, those shots are too tough to grind, 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 meaning you can't just sit there and take deep breaths and aim them and try to grind the ball in. And then, because what are you going to do that 14 more times in a row and then set them up again? It's like, it's too tough. The only way to do it is to start kind of flowing through and you can't force them in the pocket. You can't control them in the pocket. At some point you have to surrender and just kind of like let your stroke out and just start sending them towards the hole and you're going to rattle a few. But to me, that's a great practice drill because when people practice, they tend to get too controlling and try to like control and force and, and like, like you just can't do that. Once you get to the fifth diamond of the line drill, uh, it will, if you're trying to like force and control, you won't be successful and it'll start being very frustrating, you know, break down. And then at some point you'll let go of that surrender and you'll start to flow a little bit. And I think playing through that drill will, uh, so it'll help pocketing. It'll help rhythm. It'll help pre-shot. It'll help tip. It'll help timing. It'll help aiming and it'll help, help flow. And I think those are all really good things. So that's a good. Yeah. Universal. Yeah. I have a, a, a easy type of a drill that that I like to do, whereas uh, placing ball on a rail, it really doesn't matter if it's a short rail, long rail, whatever, and uh, go at a one diamond, two diamond, three diamond, four diamond angle, kind of change your angle a little bit, and just hit the ball in the center of the ball, pocket the ball, and just look where the cue ball goes, so that you know when you're in a game. And you've got this one diamond, two diamond, three diamond, four diamond angle at that shot with no English. This is where the ball's going to go. This is where the cue ball is going to go. I, I see people all the time make huge mistakes shooting ball. They pocket the ball off the rail, but the cue ball doesn't go anywhere they want it to. You're right, Rob. When people, I, I've noticed that um, there's certain there's a certain family of players where they're learning cue ball, where they're starting to understand where their cue ball goes off of an object ball. But yeah. once they're coming into a rail and rebouncing off a rail. They're, it's like they're, they get much more blurry. And so practicing one rail shape, cutting balls down rails, yeah. that's right. And the other thing I do, I just heard a fellow yesterday, as a fact, he said to me, he said, God, I just don't feel like my stroke is straight, right? And I hadn't looked at it or anything, but but I said, okay, here's your, here's the tip. And there's a center line in the tip, right in the middle. There's a center of your cue stick, center of the tip. I said, you put that center on the line between the wood on the rail and the felt, the green. There's a straight line there. And you put that center of that tip on that line and pull your stick back, your stick back. John push, it, push it forward. If that line stays on the center of your tip, 
your stroke is perfectly straight. You got nothing to change. And if it doesn't, if it wavers, or if it starts inside and goes outside or outside and inside, you got a little issue. And now, if you're alone, you got to have a mirror that you're looking on the other side of that <laughs> at the end of the table so you can see what's going on with your, usually it's something with your wrist inside or outside or the lower part of your arm or your elbows not over the top of your head. It's out here somewhere, you know, something like that that's affecting your stroke. So those couple of things, a friend of mine, Curly, said he used to use a mirror. Whenever things weren't quite right, he didn't feel quite right, he had a mirror downstairs on his pool table that he would look, and he'd look at his stroke in that mirror while he was stroking. Usually he could identify what the heck he was doing wrong. Uh, you want to know what I think you should do? Just take a Coke bottle and stroke into it 45 million times, and then you'll be a master player. <laughs> That'll work too. <laughs> yeah. and, and you should drink. You should drink a. You should drink a Coca Cola in between strokes, and then just keep using a fresh bottle every time. Yeah. Then you'll just, like, get a, get one of those like twelve foot straws that goes straight uh. into like a giant vat of Coca Cola. Yeah. You have to. You know what's funny though? I. I saw about people that do that with the Coke bottle, but I'll tell you, so Bo Rudigan, uh, hell of a player. He's out in California now. Oh, yeah. And he, anyway, he did this thing where he did, he decided for like, and I forget if he told me like two weeks or four weeks, and I do not recommend this, but he told me that he did not play pool for a month. But what he did is he spent, and I don't want to exaggerate, it might have been 15 minutes a day, okay, which 15 minutes a day stroking into a Coke bottle. And that, you know, at first it doesn't sound like much, well, 15 minutes, but when you're just sitting there stroking into a Coke bottle and all you're working on is like starting slow and getting the, and then kind of getting to where you're going rhythmic. He said it was like a meditation thing. He spent 15 minutes a day for a month doing it. Then when he said he got back at the pool table, he was just like super dialed. Anyway, people are funny, man. Funny stories. Oh, sure. Oh, I bet. I bet that would work. Yeah. Well, that's muscle memory. You You know, you get it right and close your eyes. You know what it feels like. It actually, if you do that and close your eyes, it doesn't feel all that great to have a straight stroke. It feels like you're, you know, kind of awkward in there. But uh, then you know what's right when it feels a little bit awkward. You know what? I, and I think what I'm going to do, uh, there was a, a question that was lobbed out that's going to be too much for me to answer here and now. But I, I think that um, <laughs> I'm going to be, it has to do with how do you get into flow state. So what I'm going to do is actually Josh and I, we did a podcast a week and a half ago that I thought was a lot of fun. Uh, we are going to be we are going to be doing a follow up this Saturday, and I I'm, I would encourage everyone listening to check it out this Saturday or whatever we whatever we posted. Uh, Josh and I are going to be doing a follow up, and I think I'm going to share a lot more thoughts on this. But for my right now, my teaser answer would be, I kind of believe this. I don't think that there's something you do to get into flow state. I feel like flow state is kind of the natural state, and then there's things that we do to take ourselves out of it. And it's not about oh. doing something to get into it. I think it's about learning sure. the things that we do to derail ourselves oh, and then yeah. minimizing those things so that we don't sink our yeah. own ship more often than we need to. And so more on that coming up here soon. I, on I Channel don't know, Five. Well, I think that's I don't the, know, Demetrius. I've seen, I've seen you go into – People do. They blow up. I don't know, Demetrius. Yeah. Every time I see you shoot your best pool, you you go to the bathroom and come back out. And well, besides – Three or four times a match. I mean, I'm telling you, besides pharmaceuticals, Yeah. That's the, that was the other answer, but <laughs> crazy, crazy amounts of uh, bathroom breaks in the middle of that. That's right. Oh, that also boy. helps out. I heard something that tears the nose right off your face. That's right. Just melts, just melts off like it's like. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's you get hopped shout into out. No, I'm going to shout out too. Well, okay. we're we're going to do we will do shout outs. You want to start, Rob? We're going to go old school. So, like we you said earlier, you've been around. Well, who the hell did I give a shout out to? Like twenty people. That was Patreon. That's different. Those people deserve shouts. Okay. Okay. So, Rob, you can start us though, since you're going to be a whiny baby about everything. Uh, this shout. Everybody knows Jacoby <laughs> Custom Cues. We all and his business started out with one guy in his garage, and now he's got I don't know twenty some employees. Uh, work, plus he's got employees now that worked for him that are out on their own making their own cue sticks in different places in the country too. Besides that, but anyhow, I'm going to give a shout out to the guy who started it, David. He's a friend of mine. We're about the same age, and uh, he was just in, he was just in a local tournament last weekend, and I was talking with him a little bit. And it was time for the Q raffle, right? So they're walking around with this $1,400 Q stick selling raffle tickets for three for 20 bucks. And Dave goes over and taps the girl on the shoulder and gives her 20 bucks. And I went, Dave, you mean you 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 buy your own raffle tickets for your own Q stick that you give? You gotta get high on your own supply. Yeah, and he yeah, I'm just I I don't know. I'm just I'm just wondering, you know. And he goes, he goes, Oh yeah, it's it's a donation. If I win this Q stick, he said, I just give it to somebody else at the next tournament to raffle off again. He said, so I'm not only donating the stick here, I'm donating this $20 to the tournament too. <laughs> so I'm thinking these kind of folks, they don't come along every day. <laughs> and, and besides he plays in local leagues every week, maybe two couple of leagues, maybe. Plus he goes to a little Friday night race to two tournament thing that, he was so proud that he just won it last week where, you know, he has to spot people games too a little bit because he's no slouch playing pool. He can play a little, but it's just that, you know, somebody with his status and uh, Jacoby custom cues are known throughout the world. And yet here's this guy uh, donating like that uh, on the weekends and in the community he lives in and stuff. So I shout out to David Jacoby. It's a great guy. And I'll give that. Demetrius, you want to go next? Uh, I'd like to go last. Are we going to follow this with a tip of the week? No, we'll, we'll do that at the end of the pod. Oh, okay, because I've got a – okay, I'll, I'll go next. So my shout-out is uh, Mason Cook from Wisconsin. So Mason – how old is Mason, Nate? 20. 22. 22. 21 or 22. Okay. So I've only known Mason a year or two. Um, you know, we're not, like, best friends, but, like, what I would say is is that – there are certain players that are just really warm. And when you meet them, you know, there's some people that are kind of aloof, a little prickly, a little standoffish. Some people are, you know, abrasive or whatever. Mason is just a really, really warm person. So when I had a chance to meet, you know, talk to him at tournaments or talk to him at the, you know, whatever, uh, I've always just felt like really warm, really like he's genuine. He's passionate. Uh, he's, he's a pool nut. He's always been, you know, he's been, very warm to me uh, and very supportive. I've been, you know, rooting him on. So anyway, there's certain people where you're just like, you just want to see him do well. And uh, one thing he's been playing a lot of, uh, you know, he was at Derby. I've yeah. seen him at uh, the, the last few tournaments I've gone to, the U.S. Open, Derby City. Uh, and then the uh, I was at that uh, Predator event in uh, Ohio. He was at all of those. I'm sure he's gone to a few more on his own that I haven't seen him at. So anyway, uh, he's playing a lot of tournaments. He's starting to hit the balls real well. And, um, you know, he's... He's, I'll tell you what, he's doing well. So anyway, the point is, is that he got invited 
to the Match Rooms World Championship this year. And there's 128 players. It's an invite tournament. And uh, he was invited. So, you know, he's not he, he's not um, a top player yet in the world. You know, he's uh, he's not even a top player yet in the U.S. yet. But I'll tell you, he's young. He's playing all the events. He's he's passionate. He's a hard worker. And regardless of his current ability or his future ability, I don't right. even care. I just I'm excited to see somebody out giving their all, playing these events, and then being noticed and included. And I'm really proud of you, Mason. So good job and good luck. And younger too, you know. Easy, easy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, he's he's playing awesome pool right now. Uh, I mean, obviously, I grind against him quite a bit. We play in the same division. We're right around the same Fargo rate, and we're we're constantly battling each other. So his game in the last couple of years has gone through the roof, and it's great to see because he works harder than most most all players in Wisconsin. So it's good to see that when you work really, really hard for a couple of years that you start getting paid off, and good for Mason. Yeah, and when, when he's on a nine-foot table against top players, he's he's learned to handle himself well against top players. He's also strikes the balls very well on so the the larger tables. I, I, I've seen you know it doesn't hurt him at all. In fact, I feel like it just lends itself well because he's got a very you know big stroke and a lot of firepower and a good accuracy and and uh, he's just you know when it comes to like full table length open shots and just putting balls in the hole, he's definitely a you know, fish in water and so. Um, yeah, it's 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 really good. I'm looking forward yeah, to seeing. You got to give a little credit, I think, too, to his father, uh, who's been involved in pool in Wisconsin for many, many, many years. Owned a few pool halls, and and certainly has encouraged him to 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 play. So you, if you've got that backing behind you, a parental uh, push, uh, that never hurts anything with a pool player. Well, as long as you don't push too hard and they get burnt out, but obviously that hasn't happened. So no, but we all we all know a lot of stories where that has. So yeah. no, I think it's awesome. Good for Mason, and uh, I guess I will move on to my shout out, which is the owner. Well, I shouldn't say the owner, but oh, uh, the person me. who. No, Sorry. no, not quite. Uh, <laughs> I am going to shout out to Jenny Lynn, uh, who is my representative for How Tips, and uh, I think the CBBA brand. No, Andy's Club. I don't know. Andy's cloth. I think it's Andy's cloth. Yep. Andy's cloth. I, I use her for uh, how tips. And uh, one of the packages that they sent from uh, China did not have the correct amount of tips in it. And they looked into it and figured out that they had made a mistake on their end and they immediately sent out more. So I'm sure the shipping was not cheap for that, but you know, they made it right. And you don't always see customer service like that. And I just thought it should be highlighted because, you know, I think uh, she's she's helped me out quite a bit with a lot of stuff with uh, the how tips and a lot of people. I just feel like a lot of companies in pool would be like, yeah, well, sorry, we shipped it from China and it was right and it's wrong on your end. So you're you're, you're SOL, but they didn't. They hooked me up and sent me what I needed. So I just wanted to give a shout out for that because I think it's pretty cool that they did that. So, yeah. Anyways. We ready to get started with, uh, I guess, the meat of the podcast? What the hell? I mean, Rob, the Rob, there's hope for you still. What All the of the old people won at the European Championships. There's hope for you yet. Oh. <laughs> How cool is that, though? Like, Ralph Suquet and Niels Fine? Yeah. And Niels Ralph Fine gets Niels, gold and yeah. two bronze? That's pretty strong. That's pretty, That's pretty, pretty cool. St- pretty cool. He was competitive. Niels was competitive in all the events, all the different categories of play. Yeah. Uh, pretty much in the top 10, all those divisions. So, yeah. Ralph is Ralph. I mean, what the heck? 
Ralph uh, is what? Uh, Ralph has got to be like 50. Slow down. How old is Ralph? I feel like we ask this question all the time. Is Ralph, Ralph has got to be 50, what, 52, 53? Demetrius, what do you think? Um, no? Yeah, I would say around there. Yeah. And I'm debating. I'm debating. So I think in a minute, I'll let you guys talk about this, but I've got a story I've never shared on the podcast. 53. Ooh. I've got a story I've never shared on the podcast about my first run in with Neil's fan. And uh, I think people would enjoy it. So let's let's cover the, the championships and then maybe I'll I'll kind of divulge this dirt from my past. Sure. This dirt. Oh, this True is story. Not, it's, it's, it's funny. I don't know. Okay. Well, uh, we'll talk first about the eight ball, I guess, because uh, that's what I have up. Uh, Mario, he loses eight to five in the finals to Ralph Suke. So Ralph Suke gets another European championship. And I, I remember seeing uh, Ralph's page and he said like the first, this was like his 20, I'm making up a number now. I, I, I believe it was 28, uh, his 28th European championship. And his first one was in 1988. So you want to talk about a career. Like we're ta- like we're kind of celebrating Tom Brady coming back from you know retirement after six hours of being in retired, whatever blah blah blah. Ralph Suke started in 1988. He's been playing this game at an elite world class level for how old am I? Uh, for 34 years, this guy has been at the top or dang near the top. You want to like that's just incredible. I, I just I just don't understand like that level of longevity, that level of elite focus like how many people how many people can like how many people can even focus for 34 years at one thing well it just shows i mean his strengths are so much designed around you know his mental game his pattern play his game management uh you know all these things to where you know players that play the style of a jason shaw it's very hard to stay at the top for all that long because it just takes so much you know it's just you got to be absolutely lightning in a bottle to keep pocketing balls like Shaw's pocketing. And it'll be interesting. I'm not saying he won't last 10 years, but like, you know, it's very, very challenging. Whereas someone like Ralph, uh, it's like, it's, it's, he's been playing since 1988. How many, how many hard shots have you really seen him shoot in 34 years? It's been, you know, <laughs> it's not many, you know what I mean? And so it's like, that's, he has a style to where, to where he was never the number one player of the world in terms of like, who's the big money match race to a hundred guy. Like Shane was always the favorite over him, or maybe there was always somebody that was maybe like a favorite if they played a heads up long set. But in terms of just like consistent top finishes year after year after year, um, you know, I think in the nineties, he wasn't quite as dominant, but like once 2000, I mean, I remember live watching the 2002 U S open. He beat Alex Pagulain. And that was like the first time I really see him win, uh, you know, a major. And then after that, it's just been 20 years where, He's been, he's never been the number one player in the world, you know, necessarily, but he's always been in the top five for 20 years. And that's unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. So I found, I found his pulse now. He's had, he's had 23 individual gold medals. So just individually, he's had 23 and he's had 40, he's been playing for 47 years and he has 38 total medals. So you want to talk about like consistency? 38 total medals and 23 of them are gold. When he gets there, he gets the job done. It's crazy. It's incredible. I mean, the guy's 47 years playing this game. It's the guy's a legend. I just, why does he not, 
let me ask you guys this: Why does he not more get? Why does he not get more consideration for the greatest player of all time? He's had the most. He's had the most World Pool Masters ever. He's he's won by far the most Euro Tours ever by like a matter of like twelve. Uh, I think that Euro, people the most World Pool Masters from the media. Well, I think that I think that there's two things. One thing is is that, like I said, he's not. At any one time, he's not maybe considered the most dominant player on the planet. Like, you know, there's a there's an argument where Shaw was, you know, or I'm sorry, Filler might have been the most dominant, or maybe Federer is right now, or Shane was in 2010 or something. But, like, Ralph has never been in the spot where nobody in the world wants to play him, but he's always been in the spot where he can play anybody and get there. So that's the first thing. The other thing is his style. Uh, it's a little fly under the radar. It doesn't catch the attention and the applause. And... And so he doesn't make the highlight reels as much and he doesn't do, you know, it's just, he just gets the job done. And actually I think another person that fits that too is uh Neil Spann. If you watch Neil Spann, it's been 20 years. He's been at the top. And again, Niels has never been the number one player of the world in terms of like, nobody will play him or he's completely dominant over everybody. But yet for 20 years, he's always been one of the top five or 10, you know what I mean? So it's like, I right. think Niels and Ralph are very similar in the sense that they've never dominated pool, but they've always been a threat to win every major they've played their whole career. Yeah, I, I, I look at a player like Jim Rempe and and how long he went and played at a high level in his career. And kind of he's kind of in line with uh, uh, the Kaiser too. You know, he's just that kind, that kind of player. Still playing, I'm sure he played pretty darn good, even at his age and all. Yeah, I, I, I'm just, just looking at Ralph. Loves the here's game, Ralph, you know? Ralph here's Ralph's resume, it. I guess. He's won a world, the World Nine Ball Championship in '96, the World Eight Ball Championship in 2008, the World Cup of Pool. He's won the U.S. Open. He's won the or U.S. Open Nine Ball. He's won the U.S. Open Straight Pool. He's won the World Pool Masters six times. He's won the World Games. <laughs> he's what he's been on the Moscone Cup. Uh, he's won the Moscone Cup uh, six, seven times. I think he's been on it another ten times, close to it. He's won the Derby City Classic nine ball three times, twenty-three time Euro Euro Tour winner, twenty-three time uh, European Pool Championship winner. I look, you just look at this thing. It's just accolade after accolade, championship after championship, and yet when it comes down to who's the greatest player of all time, he's not even his name isn't even on there. Yeah, I think people tend to think about highest year as opposed to best career. So when you think about the yeah. highest year, you think about right. Earl Strickland or you think about Shane yeah. or you yeah. think about Shaw, but, but that's like, it's just different ways of measuring. So it's like, right. it's, it's almost like talking about poker and saying who's won the most money on a single hand or who's versus who's got the biggest right career now. earnings. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's right. like, he doesn't necessarily win the biggest hand. You know, he might not have the highest straight, but like, you know, Suke has never run, you know, 700 balls in straight pool. And I doubt yeah. he's run as many racks at 10 ball as Shane or something, but you know, that's, that's just like what, that's what makes a highlight reel. And yeah. Ralph doesn't do that. But if you wanted to look at like, you know, who's got the most, you know, consistent finishes over a 10 year period, I don't know that anyone's going to beat him. So. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. The, uh, the career of this guy it's, well, I mean, it kind of goes back to like the Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Like if you're going to, if you're going to say something about like whether or not LeBron James uh, is better than Michael Jordan, what you end up saying is his career has been better for longer. And that's kind of like the argument that people give over LeBron or LeBron over Michael Jordan. And I'm sure you guys are completely out of your elements here, but um, I mean, 
you can't find anybody with a longer, better career than Ralph. It's just the dude is still winning at a at a, at a, a yeah, dang near elite level. It's awesome. Yeah, it's not the domination factor for Ralph. I mean, we talk about the, these great players. They dominated for three, four, five, six years. Um, all tournaments, wherever they went, they were the dominant. Where he has been in the top ten for thirty years. <laughs> yeah, and I and I don't know. So there's a uh, Patrick Deal made some comments about other players. I, I actually don't think that Siegel and Strickland meet that criteria because uh, the um, you know Siegel played top pool in the '80s and '90s, but he bowed out when he was still at the peak of his career. Yeah. He just quit playing. Meanwhile, yeah, Strickland, right. you know, Strickland played top level pool for probably like the mid '80s until about 2005. And then he hasn't been at the same level since. So, like in terms of high, in terms of being, you know, competitive at the like realistically able to win a major, Ralph has been w- realistically able to win a major for thirty years. And I don't know that there's many players that have done that. Even and then the problem with Efren is Efren didn't come to the states until he was in his late twenties, or I I don't know how old he was, thirty years old, but he no no no. But whatever he was, you know, he was you know there was ten or twelve years of the front end of Efren's career that we never saw because he was right. still south of the border. So it's like the bottom line is is that there's not been that many examples of people that have that type of longevity at the highest levels. There's people that have competed for that long, but not one at the top levels for that long. I mean, I'm sure there's people, but I just those would be my responses to Rampy Siegel and Strickland. Yeah. That's all. I wish we could have saw Earl at the Moscone Cup this year. I really mm-hmm. do. I I was all so hyped up for that. I did. I did see him there. Yeah. I don't know. What, I don't know what you were looking at, but I saw him there. Yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. So, uh, I mean, I guess that's yeah. Uh, great for Ralph Suke. I love it. I love the idea that he's still at, and he's it's like a super nice guy, like one of the nicest guys you're gonna meet too. So, awesome. Good for him. All right. Let's move on to the nine ball on uh, where Niels Fine gets the win over Daniel Guttenberger. Pretty awesome for Niels. So I, I, I guess we're we're talking to, ah, I guess Niels isn't super old, right? He's probably forty four. Does that sound right? Somewhere in there. Sounds no good one? to me. All right, I'll go with that. Let's. It's like Wikipedia. Somebody can edit it, but as long as we are first to market, we'll just say he's forty four, as of our opinion. Yeah. Well, you know, you can just kind of say whatever you want, and as long as nobody fact checks you, you're good. So he's That's 45. Right. Okay. So he just had a birthday last month and he's 45. So actually we have a birthday one day apart. Huh? Huh? Who'd have known? Who'd have known? So uh, Niels Fine gets the win over Daniel Guttenberger. Uh, let's see here. I, I don't even know who either of these players are in the uh, in the semifinals, which is just shows the depth of um, European pool, I guess. Uh, Jacob Conier and uh, Johnny Uski. There There's go. too many good Europeans. It's sick. There are too many good Europeans. Uh, I guess awesome for Niels. Uh, I, I heard a story, I guess. Uh, we'll let you talk your story here in a second, Demetrius, since we're on it if you want. But uh, I remember um, I was I was having a conversation with uh, someone, and basically Matchroom is trying to get Niels to go full-time to the booth, kind of like what Carl's doing. And Niels is like, why are you trying to get – like, are you going to go to Jason Shaw and tell him to, to stop playing pool and go into the booth? And Matchroom's like, no, he's in the prime of his career. And Niels is like, yeah, so am I. Why are you trying to get me out of it? Like, but that's 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 literally that's literally what that's literally what I was told that he told them was that well, he is still in the prime shape, of his career. 
Yeah, and sure he's he not is. trying yeah. to stop playing pool. Like that's what his career is, and he's not trying to stop anytime soon. No. I mean, that's, well, he's you know he he's said a lot on his YouTube channel about how he was physically. I mean, he was playing amazing offense from like you know in the 2000 to 2010. And then over 2010 to 2015, he worked really, really hard on his safety game, his 10-ball break, and then uh, and then also his jump shots gotten a lot better. So it's like these were the skills. So, I mean, when he was playing top pool in 2004, 2005, well, then the game switched to 10-ball. Jump cues really went a long way, and the safety play started getting tougher and tougher. And he elevated each of those parts of his game to get competitive. Now, meanwhile, he's also, when it comes to mental game, this guy is a beast. He trains hard mentally he spends a lot of time he even has a mental course shout out to the uh what is it you know the terminator college or something if you look at neil's fan if you search neil's fan the first thing that'll come up is his online guy he's got like a mental game course which is and he has an he has a visualization exercise on youtube if you go to his channel so it's like this guy physically trains mentally trains he's finally he's got all of his pieces developed he's got confidence he's got a belief in himself based on his resume and he's still young enough and he has, and he's in great shape. He has the stamina. Like why, why would he not continue to be at the top of the game? Another, you know, five, 10 or more years for sure. Yeah. I love that response. Would you, would you ask Jason Shaw to leave? No, he's in the prime of his career. So am I. <laughs> I just love that. It's a, that's a, that's a, that's an amazing statement. And that's, you know, just shows his mindset and why he's still able to compete at the highest levels. Uh, so Cool. Good for him. All right. Uh, any, well, did you want to tell your story about Niels Dimitri? Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, 2004. I did not know who Niels Fan was. Okay, he was not. He had just, this is like just before he made the front cover of every magazine. I went to Las Vegas for a team tournament for my leagues. I was playing leagues. And while I was down there, they had a pro event going on. And one of our, I'll just say it was Jimmy Wedge was our top player in Minnesota at the time. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Wedge was, uh, you know, ranked as high as fifth in the world during the 1990s. He made the finals of the world championship at eight ball. He won a few nine ball majors. Anyway, so Jimmy was a, and and Jimmy, but Jimmy was known more for his money games, right? He was, had a big gambling background where he ran the roads for five, 10 years during the nineties. And he matched up and played guys like CJ Wiley and Reed Pierce and, uh, you know, different Jeff Carter and guys like that. He would play these money matches where he'd be playing, you know, 10 ahead sessions and those sessions would last for a day and a half and they'd go from nine ahead to the other guy getting nine ahead. Anyway, so Jimmy was like the seasoned road warrior gambler professional player. And two of the guys on my team really wanted to see Jimmy get into an action match. You know, they'd heard all these stories that, you know, they're all big fans of Jimmy because he was our top player. They wanted to get him into a game. And they came to me and they said, hey, Jimmy has a game. Like, we got a game for Jimmy. This guy is going to play him. Ten ahead for 2,000. Um, Jimmy said he'd play if we back him. He said he doesn't really want to put up the money against some European he doesn't know. But, like, of course, it's Niels, right? Yeah. That's where this is going. So he says, but but he, he said if we back him, he'll he'll play. And we just want to make the game. Ten ahead, ten ahead, ten ball. They're going to play ten ahead, ten ball on this tight pocketed table out at the Q Club. So they said, here's the deal. We want you to go in on us with us. We want to go three-way on the two grand. So 666 a piece or whatever. And I should have known right there, number of the beast. You know, I should have known. So anyway, <laughs> I had I brought 600 bucks with the gamble. I'm like, you know, I might as well fire it at Jimmy Watch. You know, just as if nothing else, at least, you know, 10 ahead. I mean, this could last a day and a half. I get to see some good pool. So I put up the 666, and we all put up. Uh, and as we're posting the money, I almost said his name. One of my teammates comes to me. Remember, these two guys, just remember, these two guys 
twisted my arm to be the third person to go in with him. <laughs> but now we're going to post the money. Niels is there. Jimmy's there. Everyone's there. We're posting the money. And one of my teammates that was supposed to come up with a third comes up to me and says, hey, I just had this problem. My ex-wife did this thing, and she drained this bank account. It's been ex-paycheck, and I can pay you back, but can you cover my third for today? <laughs> and I was just in this bad spot where it's like everyone's there waiting for the money to be posted, so I had to come out of pocket and cover his third. Okay. The match goes down. It was over in 46 minutes. We paid an hour for the table time. It was like the table minimum. Niels Fayen got 10 ahead in 12 racks. I still remember he broke he broke the balls 11 times. He made a ball 10 out of 11, and he ran out 9 out of 10. And I'm talking breakouts and jump shots and bang shots. And he's just and on this tight pocketed pool room cloth table. He ran that table over. It was 46 minutes. Like, not only did our horse lose, like, we didn't even get anything. Like, he only got to the table, like, once. It was unbelievable. It was just like this, just this Niels show. You know, I mean, rah. And so – we're all just like, <laughs> and so then, so then we go pay off the bet. And at this point, I'm convinced that Niels is the best player in the world. I've never seen anything like that before. And so then the other one of my teammates that, that did put up his third, he's like, oh, no, this is bad. This is bad. He starts getting really freaked out. So I'm like, hey, what's going on? You know, and we started talking. So we go for a walk because he's acting like it's the end of the world. Well, he was... He was kind of a stay-at-home dad, and his wife was this executive bread earner, you know, the breadwinner. And apparently finances have been like a tension point in their marriage. And him even going to Vegas to play this team event with us was like this pain point that like they got into a steaming fight about. And somehow he'd gone, but it was like, she's like, you're going to do something stupid and all this stuff. And anyway, he apparently got the money by using a cash advance on some emergency only credit card that he had where it was like, you know, if things get really bad, use this credit card. So he did a cash advance on that credit card to cover the third. And so he's like, we're going to get divorced over this, man. He's like, she's going to divorce me. And he's like really freaked out. So check this out. I have to cover his third, call his wife and explain that I got in over my head and I went off like a rocket because I don't have any self-control and that that my buddy had to bail me out. And that's why he used the credit card was to save me. So not only did I have to cover both of the thirds of the people that talked me into this, but then I had to then be the guy that was like, yeah, I'm the DJ that lost all the money and I'm sorry. Uh, so now to this day, she thinks I'm a total schmuck. So it was pretty unbelievable, man. <laughs> to be to this day, you're the total schmuck. That means they're still together. That's a perfect yes, yes. story. So I feel like That's at least exactly I don't. How it goes down in real life. Too. Give a very good, you know. At least I, I, you know, hopefully I helped in some way. And so anyway, but the funny part is these are actually pretty good friends. And over the next, I did get paid every penny back. It took it oh, took some time. Geez. It took some time, but uh, it was. Yeah. In the pool world, that's like hitting runner runner spades to make a flush. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> so, all right, that's all I got. I think so. I think, uh, I think Sarah said it perfectly. You better hope that the, the wives aren't podcast listeners. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would be surprised. And anyway, I mean, that's 20 years ago. It's water under the bridge. Why would you I'm be sure. surprised? This is, a, this is a great podcast. Why would Did you, you learn your lesson, Demi? That's what Ed wants to know. <laughs> so, so you never bet against somebody you don't know. And But the thing is, like, I totally didn't care. But, I mean, that's that's the first thing. And then that was uh, – anyway, that's when Niels Fan was uh, in my mind. And then – some other day, I, if I haven't already told the story, I have another Neil Span story that's a good follow-up to that one, but maybe next time.
the the Minerage Boot Camp. That's what Patrick said. Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I'm the last person on the planet. Jeez. I need, I need like seven games to eight on that one. <laughs> and one of your partners yeah. on your team is divorced. <laughs> I mean, yeah. how much better can it get than that? <laughs> this game's not that hard. All you got to do, you know, do I know these? I know these people, don't I? Probably. I don't know. I'm yeah, they were probably a little. They were probably a little older than you, Demi. I'm yeah, thinking. yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk. I about probably it. know them too, but anyway, we'll, we'll let's narrow it down like a game of guess who. <laughs> yeah, I have a, a, I have a statistic here that I was uh, my my passion passion now is three cushion billiards, of course, and we talk about pocket pool, uh, but. Uh, I did run across a statistic today that I thought was pretty interesting. I, I, I was looking up a player. Uh, uh, his name is Dion Nellen. He's from Denmark, and he's a he was a champion from the time he was seventeen in three cushion billiards, and he went pro when he was like, uh, I don't know, in in twenty eighteen or whatever. But uh, this this guy has won eight different championships in in Denmark in three cushion uh, between the time he started when he was 17 until now. And I wanted to ask Jim about him if he knew who he was, Dion Nellen. Uh, well, I'm sure Jim's probably tuning in. He has nothing better to do with his life. Come on, Jim. Let's see in the chat room. Yeah. No, he's probably – he's working probably. Oh, Patrick Neal asks uh, – Niels is, I guess, one day before my birthday. He's the third yeah. of February. But but my I point there was that, that I, I looked up where his standings are in the uh, rankings, uh, world rankings for three cushion billiards, and he is his he's ranked number twenty one out of thirty. And I, then I looked, of course, at all the rest of them, one through thirty, and what hit me right up front, not one American was on that list. The top 30 three-cushion players in the world, not one American. And and I went, wow. There's a, there's a few pretty good players in this country, but not You better step one. your game up, Rob. You need to get your name <laughs> yeah, on that list. Right. Well, that that's another thing, too. On, on the 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th of uh, April, this next month, in Madison, Wisconsin, at the billiard club there, there is going to be a world champion, world-class South American player in the tournament that's going to be going on at the time. There's going to be 32 players in the tournament, but uh, Luis Vega is going to be there. Uh, he recently ran uh, 21 and out on somebody over there in Boston at Mazen Shuni's place, Amazing um, uh, um, Billiards, uh, just outside of Boston. So he's going to be there in Madison. If anybody in the area is interested in coming and watching, more than likely he will make it to the finals, and that'll be Saturday and Sunday, the 9th and 10th of uh, April, probably. They won't be able to watch okay. you because my chances of getting to the finals are pretty slim. <laughs> okay, I'll go watch. Why not? What do I better do? It's a, I'll tell you what. Three Cushion is such an amazing game. For anybody listening that hasn't played it, um, especially like if you know how the cue ball works and you know how spin works and you know how to manipulate your cue ball and you know kind of general like, you know, some some general around the table type paths. Uh, if you start playing that game and actually like just learn a little bit about some, there are some shots. Yeah, you don't even need to know a lot. 
but but there are shots that come up in three cushion that you would I mean you know one pocket is close like you can come up with some pretty inventive shots but like three cushion you do things to the cue ball that are so low percentage you would never ever ever get to try them in a pool game and when you try them and then they work it is like it, you just don't really feel that way playing pool it's a pretty fun game you know there's a there's a one pocket shot where your opponent can leave you behind the stack right right up next to the stack and he's got a ball three or four inches out of his corner pocket, maybe a couple balls. Well, if you know how to play three cushion, you can two rail kick on the outside of that ball and push it over toward your pocket and be pretty darn accurate on it. I can do it on a billiard table and do it 80% of the time and hit it right. Hmm. And what's I wouldn't be able to do that if there was no stack. The worst there. that can happen is you miss the ball, you go back up to the stack and you lose one point anyway. So yeah, you know. I'm so I'm so low percentage. I'd take a foul. Even if I was on two fouls already, I'd just get it over Most with. people would at that point. They'd just take a foul. But if you play three cushion, you have some answers to that that are really a fairly high percentage. I'm with Ryan. I can't pocket a ball anyways. Maybe I should play three cushion. Except for I've played that game before, and I think I have about 600 innings, and I have about three billiards. So yeah. <laughs> maybe I should take I, a curl. A you go through a bit of a drought yeah, playing that game. Oh, like well, if you're gonna, it's that's a hard the game. Yeah, is if you're gonna play three cushion and you're not a top player, you should probably at least have some good music on in the background or something to kind of hedge a little bit against those twenty inning dry spells. <laughs> yeah. Or an kid, awesome if podcast. If you're a pocket pool player, learning how to play, just learning the fundamentals of three cushion, that's not going to hurt your pocket pool game at all. You're gonna you're gonna be elevated in that game a little bit when you're in situations, especially today. I saw the this kicking system on Facebook, uh, the Z banking kick kicking system. You multiply this number times that number, and then you know on where you have to hit the first rail. And and this was pocket pool that they were talking about, the Z bank kicking system. And I went well. For pocket pool, yeah, that comes up what once in a blue moon. I don't even know why there's. A, that's why I'm laughing. I don't even know why. I'm, I'm sorry if anybody listening was like the inventor of the system. Like, for me, I look at how often does it come up, and then like you know, if, like, I I I, I, I z kick at a ball like annually. I don't even understand right. why somebody right. even practice that. Right. But in billiards, in three cushion billiards, it does. You yeah. can actually kick that shot and and get it, or you can play off of a ball. And then just adjust a little bit of inside or outside spin, depending on which side you hit the object ball on. And three cushion, that comes up, that shot comes up in almost every single game you play, maybe numerous times in the game. So there's there's a there's a place for that Z bank. Uh, three cushion is where it's at with that. All right, let me mix it up. I'm gonna I'm just gonna I'll do a real quick answer on this. Uh, do I like coaching older people? Yeah, you know so. First of all, I don't think it's so much about age as opposed to like, you know, open mindedness, curiosity and and humility. I think that anybody, you know, you could be 15 years old. And in fact, a lot of young kids either think they know it all or they think they've got it all because the beginning of their trajectory, you know, they get better and better very quickly and everyone's patting them on the back. So they think they're they don't think they need help or they think they have it all figured out. So so anybody can be closed minded um, at any age. And I, I don't think it's about age. I think it's about open mindedness and humility. Uh, among the people that are what I like about working with older people is that um, they've spent many, many years where pools been a part of their life. So either they've been playing pool a long time and have plateaued or it's been peripheral in their life while they've had other stuff going on. But either way, 
it's like they have this long, lifelong relationship with the game. And then to allow them to basically develop that relationship and have a, a kind of a grown-up understanding of it. So it's like somebody's been playing pool a long time as a hobby that they're kind of interested in, but not all in on. And then maybe they have more time as they're retired or as they have more hours. And now they want to take, you know, maybe they've been successful in their careers and as a parent and in other areas of their life. And they're like, hey, I play this game a little bit as a kid in bars. Now I've got more time. I've been successful in all these other places in my life. So I know that I can be successful at stuff I put my mind to. Now I'd like to turn that and see if I can't do something with this game that I've always loved. And so to take people that love the game and are eager to develop a more mature relationship with the game they've loved all their life and help them do that. Oh, it's very satisfying. And and there's absolutely no roadblocks. And as far as like, do they resort back to bad habits? I mean, yes and no. Like if there's certain things that they've been doing wrong for 50 years, that can be a challenge. But on the other hand, there are some things that don't revert. So like if, for example, if you don't know a shot and then you learn that shot and now that shot comes up, you're not going to revert to not knowing the shot. So there's certain things that if you do things the right way in instruction, you can achieve lasting changes to somebody's game because, you know, these things are not something that just fade away or forget. Because I'm not a fundamentally based instructor where I'm trying to – what I'm not doing is taking people that have stroked the ball a certain way for 50 years and changed their setup. Like, that's not really what I do. So it's not it's not a problem. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, are we ready to continue moving on, I guess, with these results? Probably yeah. are, huh? All right. The European 10-ball championships. Uh, Boytek Shevchek loses in the finals to Sanjin Pelovanovic. Ooh, I wanted to say I, I watched this one. I wanted Voitek to win. Made me sad. Made me very sad. All right. Niels and Roberto Bartol get uh third, fourth. Uh I guess there Sanjin, again, Niels is right up there at toward the top. Yep, Brown's medal again. So I thought this was kind of interesting. The Sanjin Pelovanovic. Uh we all kind of saw that video of what he did last year in the finals, I believe. Uh are you guys familiar with that? Nope. Okay, so he makes a he makes a great shot to get down to a, a straight in nine ball to oh, Joshua yeah, Miller yeah. in the finals. Yeah. Uh, he gets a little loose on his seven ball, gets kind of a, a weird back angle on his eight ball that he has to shoot in with a pretty sharp cut and just a ton of inside spin. Executes it perfectly, gets down really nicely onto the nine ball, almost straight in, but bridge off bridging off the rail and shoots it right into the inside jaw or the outside jaw of the pocket, and uh, that was to win. Um, his, it was Josh the win at Euro. Running up. Well, what, and, and what, what I think oh, is yeah. relevant is that when he made the that, that eight ball. That, no, it was to win the European Championships last year. Yeah, that would have been his biggest win. And I'll tell you what, what I remember about that is that when he, he had the hardest eight ball, he had to cut that eight ball in with a ton of Super spin, good. and he had to make that ball, and he made it. And after he made it, he looked at the crowd and went, yeah! Yeah. And then he got <laughs> down, and there's the cue ball froze on the rail, and he's like, <laughs> He got down and missed that nine, and it was like, talk about, like, it was like the premature celebration nightmare of all nightmares, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, so painful, man. Oh, that is. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it just seems like pool is more poetic than other sports. So, with, like, the Alex Kazakis meltdown in the, the year prior to come back and winning it. It's more I mean, brutal, I wouldn't say yeah. poetic. I mean, Alex Kazakis was much more of a meltdown than Sanjin. Sanjin just missed a ball, right? He missed one ball, and it was probably up until that point, maybe the biggest ball in his career that he had missed. Uh, and then comes back the next year and wins. Pretty cool. 
I like it. Makes me happy. I hear people right. saying a lot while they're playing pool is after they make this just incredible shot, whatever it was, like, where's the love? You know, they get stuck behind one of their opponent's balls in the corner and they're just dead locked, trapped somewhere. Yeah. Pool where's is such a brutal game, man. It's, it's, it's brutal. The, and it's like just I feel for these guys. I mean, who hasn't gone through this? And it's just – it's just an amazing game that no matter how good you get at this game, there are more. So, you know what? Okay. I did the one thing I did because I was talking about consistency or inconsistency. And I was talking about on the last podcast I did with Josh, I was talking about how everyone has a range. So, like, if, if I'm 730, sometimes I play 650, sometimes I play 800. But after I got done with the podcast, I realized something. I'd like to say on my bad days that I play like a 650. But that's kind of misleading. What I would say is on my bad days, I play like a 700 90% of the time. And then like I lapse into like a hundred, like here and there periodically, or I turn into a 50. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I don't like on my bad days, I don't play 650 pool. No, no, no. On my bad days, I play 700 pool with some like zeros mixed in. And it's, just, <laughs> it's really funny to think about it that way. But that's what happens like once in a while, no matter how good you get. You could just turn into a zero Fargo right at any moment. <laughs> I don't know. At any moment, it can bite yeah. you. So the average is 650, but that doesn't feel good when it's your turn to, to throw the zero. Right, right. Pool is pool right is a lot of 100% focus 100% of the time. I mean, yeah. if you just... If you're off that 6 7% on one shot and one rack and one match, you may be out of the match. <laughs> At the highest levels, definitely. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know let's, let's move on to the 14.1. Uh, another, we actually had another almost like a resurgence of a player. Roman Hebler loses in the finals to Joshua Filler, but that, I mean, that would have been awesome. Yeah, Roman. See, Roman. Roman's a great player. Uh, so Joshua Filler gets the win there. Uh, third place again. Neil's fine. And Neil. uh, Mario, he. So another great. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm going to sneeze pretty soon. This is bad. Oh, no. <laughs> I did do it. I did do a video call with Jim earlier. I think he gave me Corona through, uh, through FaceTime. Is that possible, you think? Well, consider yourself nope. blessed okay. for that. All right. Well, let's go on to the women's, the ladies, 14.1, because we almost got to see an all-filler winner. Ooh. Pia Filler ends up losing in the finals. Oh, no, this was eight ball. Never mind. This would have been the eight ball. Although she she placed high in the, the 14.12. So Pia Filler gets second in the, the women's eight ball. Or no, sorry. Pia wins the eight ball. She also go. she wins the eight ball over uh, – Anna Grodzinik. So great for Pia. I think I think this might be her first European championship, if I'm not mistaken. I think this is her first one. She's made it to a couple finals, but I think this is her first one. So good for her. Awesome to see. Uh, on to the women's nine ball. And Olivia Zaluska gets uh, first place in a whitewash over Anna Grodzinik. So, again, she's up there. Great for her. And in the women's 10 ball, Alul Gabaroglu. I finally figured out how to say that. Gabaroglu. And then uh, Ina Kaplan 
uh, gets second place. And I love Ina. Ina's awesome. She's been on the uh, the women's VG events a whole bunch. She's a great player. Uh, do you guys think it? Do you guys think it's uh, takes away from this event a little not having Allison or Kelly or Yasmin or play? You know those types of players at this event. They're kind of yeah, more well known. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, they've played in a bunch of them, I guess. So it's you know, but actually, I'm not even sure if Kelly and Allison can play in them anymore. I suppose they can't. Right now that uh, the UK is well, the UK is not a part of the EU anymore. It's not part of Europe. Oh. So well, what, I mean, is it's it part a of continent on itself, or what? Well, I mean, it's it's part of Europe, the continent, but they pulled out of the EU with uh, Brexit. So I'm not sure if they're even allowed in this anymore. Someone in the chat, yeah. if you know whether or not they can play or not, let us know. Yeah, I think you're right, though, Nate. I think in the end, when people win a tournament, you gauge kind of like how prestigious that tournament is by who is in the field. And so when you're like, well, who is playing? And if the answer is people you don't know, it's easy to be like, well, okay, good for them. However, what I will say is, is that these days, just because you don't know somebody, just like I didn't know Deals fan in 2004, let me tell you, just if you show me a, a championship in Europe with a bunch of names I don't know, I don't think to myself, oh, those guys are a bunch of schmucks. It's like, no, those, as far as I'm concerned, they're all world champions until I've seen differently. <laughs> yeah. What was, hey, Demi, what was Jimmy's reaction at that time when that happened? When he, just you know, got, you know. I actually have to be very careful uh, with what I say because, you know, oh. I, I know Jimmy and, you know, and I like Jimmy. Um, sure. It was a pretty, it was a pretty tough loss. I mean, okay. yeah, it was a pretty tough loss. That's enough said. That's, but I mean, that's... you know, the thing about it is, is that like, he didn't do anything wrong. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, right. like what yeah, are you supposed to play. do? Yeah. But I think, uh, I think that it's safe to say like, he didn't really play pro pool after that. And, and, and so I will say it made me wonder if that loss Oh. And the way it went down, it made oh. me wonder if that loss and the way it went down was kind of a tipping point in his mind as to whether or not he could still be competitive at the highest levels of the game because the game definitely got tougher from the 90s to the 2004 or 5. Now, that was that's a speculation. I don't know. All I, all I know is I saw what happened, and I saw that that was one of the last pro events I saw him play. Okay, uh, sure. I'm not, I'm not, I can't connect cause and effect, but I think it, right, I think it right. was a pretty tough one, man. It's still a fact. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough action. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's got to yeah. make it a little easier on him. I played matches in that shot. The person he was. Not had a turn. So yeah. it can happen. Well, and he's he obviously did that to many players to get where he did. And anyway, he's got, as far yeah. as I'm concerned, he's only got things to be proud of in his career. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yep. Okay, so then the women's 14.1 will finish out with this one. Uh, Pia Filler. So this is what I was talking about earlier when I was, you know. Pia Filler almost joined Joshua, her husband, and sweeping the 14.1, but she loses into the finals to uh, Amelia Matas, uh, a very good Spanish player. And, uh, yeah, that is going to – I guess I'll give a shout-out to the under-23 winners. Um, Emil Andre Gagflot, uh, one of the winners, Moritz Nohausen. And then, uh, yeah, that's it for those two. And then Finland beats Poland in the finals of the team event. But I won't go into that one, I guess. So, 
European championships are all done now, and uh, I wish I wish that was a better timing for us. Obviously, with the you know on the other side of the world, I would have liked to have watched a little bit more of this because uh, honestly, I think it's done pretty well. If there's anything that I'm sad about, it's like uh, if you ever watch a Euro Tour or European Championships and you see that they have seating for like five six hundred people minimum, and there's always like one or two people in the stands. It's kind of a I don't know. It's kind of a sad thing to see. I wish that there was a little bit better than that. But you think Kelly Fisher's uh, the favorite in this upcoming WPPA event? Well, we'll talk about we'll, we'll talk about the WPPA event in just a second uh, once we finish this one. So can we hold that for just a second? Or, or I guess maybe I should say, is there anybody? Is there anything else uh, that we want to discuss for the European Championships? No, I guess not. I guess not. All right. So I guess let's go into the WPBA event. Uh, I have a players list here. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. There are 64 players that are signed up in this tournament. Uh, a couple of the, the the bigger names, we'll say. Monica Webb, uh, Carlin Powell, uh, Kelly Fisher, Allison Fisher, Emily Duddy, Jennifer Beretta, Kim Newsom. Joanne Mason Parker, Kaylee McIntosh. Um, oh, I don't actually see April Larson's name on here. That's sad. She's got to go. She's got to be in. She's not on here. I wonder why that's the case. She's from Minnesota. Why wouldn't she go to this? Yeah. Why wouldn't she? I, I think know. she's living. Well, in, is she living in Texas now? Yeah, she's I think she's in, Texas. in a tournament in Texas. I know. But she's so, from Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Um, maybe, maybe Jim gave her COVID. I don't know. Well, if somebody maybe. out there knows why April's not playing, let us know. Well, Ryan Ryan's knows that she's not playing, so maybe Ryan right. knows why she's not playing too. So uh, I, I guess uh, I guess a couple other ones. Joanne Ashton, Jeanette, uh, Jeanette Atwell, Bonnie Arnold, um, Lori John is playing, Brittany Bryant, Ashley Burroughs. There's a lot of really, really, really good players in this field, so – uh, I guess with all of those top names and the rest of them, you asked, do, you, do we think Kelly's going to win this event? I don't know. Rob, why don't you give us an argument for or against it? For uh, who's going to win? Is Jasmine yeah. here? Jasmine, Jasmine and Allison well. are both there, right? Yep. Yeah. As is Monica Webb and Jennifer Beretta. How about the Legion player? Is she going to be there? What's what's her name? The No. No, she's a star from Lee. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, those three are gonna, last those three are my favorite. Those three for the top three spots. Stepping uh, out on the limb there. I just, ever since I've been watching Kelly play uh, back in the COVID days with the VGs and all that, I I just think she's just she's just pounding them balls, and she's liking it. She's having fun doing it. When you watch. Players, yeah, they can be serious, but you know whether they're having fun or not. And it's always that one player that's got that little smile in the back of their head that's and also playing great at the same time. And that, that's how she's playing. So, yeah, I'm, I, I give her the edge in this tournament over Allison and Jasmine. I, I can't argue that. I mean, Kelly's playing monster pool. Demetrius, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. The other thing is in terms of the timing, I mean, she's just hitting her stride, right? She's got to be playing absolutely the best pool of her life. 
Uh, you know, she's been on the scene. She's been mixing it up in the, uh, you know, the open events with uh, the top men players of the world and doing yeah. well. Uh, she's so it's like she's she's just Jennifer starting to really. Her, though, she's know. she spent all this time putting her game together, and now it finally looks the way she's always wanted it to, and she's having fun with it. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, the competition. You know, I it, it takes a it takes a heck of a player to to take a set off her. So it's like, um, but of course, it's hard to win, and when you're the favorite. And you have, you know, expectation and pressure. And is this my time? And and all you have to do, I mean, there's enough competition in that field where, you know, if you, you know, and, and she's not at the level to where she's beyond having a rough set. So it's like it's it's she's vulnerable, but you know, she's got to be a front runner. I, I just read said, a post. Demetrius, by... what what is the level that it starts at where you're not <laughs> capable of having a rough set? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, there's a level at which it doesn't matter. So like like if um if Shane played in that field you know, he might have a rough set where it would take a Kelly Fisher or a, or a Jasmine to okay. beat us. So, I mean, so you're saying, I'm not, okay. I'm not saying, saying in relation to your competitors. In, in okay. relation, okay. like there are certain, and I, I don't think it happens at the pro level, but I think it happens in regional events. You know, you can have regional events where you've got one or two guys that are like 750 Fargo playing in a tournament with mostly 600 Fargo. So it gets to the point where, unless it's super, super short set, it gets to where it's like sets can be lost. But it's double elimination, and and I felt this way when Shane used to come and play uh, in our like I've I've seen Shane play in like our regional tournaments where it's like you know Shane would be we be playing races to five bar table eight ball, and uh, and you've got like sixty four players that are all good players, but Shane plays so good that it's just hard to win a single set off him, and then even if you do, it's double elimination, and he almost feels like yeah I'll just win it from the B side. That so so there are times when you've got a real mismatch. We like we always used to call it the alien in the field. If you got like an alien in the field, uh, so I'm saying Kelly Fisher is she's not the alien in the field because there's there's her there's enough competition to where if she plays a bad set, there's definitely people that could beat her. But she's definitely got a like her end of it. So yeah, yeah. I just there's I just there's read at least a two players that Jennifer Beretta uh, posted about. Uh, a kind of an epiphany she's having uh, recently in the mental part of pool. And that sounded very positive to me. So I wouldn't, I would Well, and Jennifer, I'll tell you what, one of the fun is like, I don't know Jennifer. Well, like if we saw each other in a tournament, I'm not even sure that she would, you know, know me, but we actually played in that queued up event with Nate and everything. And we got to play uh, one match as a team. And, uh, you know, she ran three of her racks against the ghost, three out of three to get me in a position to score that point. And, um, I'll tell you what, man, you know, she's totally, you know, Jennifer's another one that plays a lot of open events. She plays oh, Derby. Yeah. She plays Turning Stone. She's not afraid of playing the top men players. She's been she working on her game. So there's, there's, I mean, the competition, you know, I think that in the nineties, um, I think that maybe if you played in a women's pro event and you were as good as Kelly is maybe like when Allison was coming, you know, back in the day she was dominating pool. I, I think that there was good players. Of course, there's Lori John Jones and Jeanette Lee, and I'm not, you know, but I think that the level of the women's play has gotten better over 20 years, uh, and it's so it's getting harder and harder to think that you're just going to go win a, to win a WPBA event. You've got to earn it. So <laughs> that's it. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, um, let's give a. Uh, I guess you guys don't have the list in front of you. Um, I, I mean, I agree with everything you guys have said. I'm going to give a dark horse that I think could actually like make. Uh, a top three finish, maybe even do better if she, you know, really puts together uh, a tournament. Watch for Kaylee McIntosh. She is playing some stupid good pool. I think she's, uh, she's got to be like, I'm going to get this completely wrong. Let, let me, let me actually check this. Maybe she has it on her, um, uh, on her Facebook page. 
but I think she's like 17 or 18 or something Ooh. like that. Super young. Maybe she's a little bit older than that. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not even, it doesn't say on here. Okay, so I, she's young. And she's playing really, really, really good pool in the, the Florida area. And she's, like, winning a lot of events and placing high in a lot of other ones. And I would, I think it would be awesome to see it. I think it would be really, really awesome to see her be able to. Oh, the draws even out. She plays Brittany Bryant first match. So that'll be a pretty tough one for her. But Tanya. I've, I've I've never talked to her. I've never seen. I've only I've only seen what she can do from a from a distance and watched, you know, where she's finished in a couple of matches and a couple well, of events. You got the brackets and, there, Nate? Already? Uh, well, apparently they're up already on uh, the um, Copy Sport. So maybe I can pull up the. Uh, they are on Copy Sport. Okay. Yeah. So well, she at least took a picture of it and okay. sent it out there that uh, she's playing Brittany Bryant first. So. I should be able to pull it up. I would. I would feel, although on the fly is not. Jimmy, do you know this Kennedy Mayman? I uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I uh, I've had the luxury of working on a, a working with her a little bit more uh, last year, uh, but she's done. She's been very, very active in the local Minneapolis scene, playing in you know leagues, playing in youth tournaments, playing in, in open tournaments, playing in you know she's and then she's been playing in the junior. Um, the junior, the JIC, you know, that uh, Ra Hannah's been running the junior international championships. So she just recently, I want to say about a month ago or less, won the, uh, you know, the, the women's 18 and under uh, down in Florida. So she's, she's playing, uh, you know, she's playing very strong and she's getting, she's got a lot of competitive background. Now, you know, the WPBA, uh, obviously there's, it's a different event than the 18 and under. So I, you know, she's going to be up against it, but you know, she knows that and she's not, she's not going there thinking she's going to win. She's going there to start that process and start getting yeah. in the ring against these players. Right. Yeah. Ryan says she's 16. Okay. Well, yeah. birthdays. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. I got the draw up here. Um, it's seated of course. So we're not going to see any like big matchups in the first round as far as like, uh, you know, although I'll, I'll say I'll, um, for, uh, for an opening round draw, when Kelly Fisher start, doesn't have it start, the easiest. Man. Starts on Thursday. Kelly Fisher's got to play Kelly Isaac first match. That's not the easiest of draws. Kelly can play pretty good pool. So that's a that's a pretty strong matchup starting out with. Uh, and who's streaming this, or where can we get this? Where can we watch this? This is, this is going to be streamed from the WPBA Facebook page. So if you want to check this out. Head okay. over there, like and follow their page. It's supposed to be streamed the entire time. I know because I talked to Dean yesterday, and uh, if uh, if they weren't going to stream it, I was going to offer to go up there and do it. But they have somebody oh. streaming it, so perfect. I just remember they had a big event in Iowa, and there was nobody there to stream it. So there was a bunch of people basically streaming from their iPhones, and it wasn't very good. Right. right <laughs> I mean, it's better right. than nothing, but it's, it wasn't yeah. very good. Actually, I think uh, I think the best opening round matchup might be Brittany Bryant versus Kaylee McIntosh. Looking at this list, I think that's going to be a, a really really good one. Oh, Joanne! Oh, Lord! How about this? Joanne Mason Parker and Lori John are playing each other first round. That's a good one. Joanne Mason Parker is on the uh, the current list for the BCA Hall of Fame, so she's she's one of U.S. Women's Open title. That should be a great matchup. And. Okay, well, I'll throw up a link to the bracket in case anybody wants to check it out. 
Uh, it's right here. And I guess with that, I mean, well, let's close out with our two tips, our three tips, I guess, because uh, we have three of us now. And this is like super old school. <laughs> no, so everybody remembers this. You and I this. did two tips each. That's what it is. So we'll do one tip each. Well, we always did, used to do two tips because it was just you and me when this started. When we well, started this. Randy Lamar, two tips. Yeah. When, we, when we started. Yeah. When we started this, Rob, like Demetrius wasn't even part of the show yet. So that's how far this go back. No. Yeah. Well, the two tip that comes from the two tip signia comes from Randy Lamar's speech at the induction of the Wisconsin Billiards Hall of Fame. That's where it comes from. <laughs> yep. So fun. All right. Very you want to go first or second, Rob? Very fun. Oh, my tip. Okay. Here's my yeah. tip. My, my, I'm going to go mental today. And yeah, go on. And, and I'm going to stay mentally positive. I'm going to go, how many times do you hear somebody shoot and all of a sudden they're shaking their head or their hands go up in the air? Kind of like what Demetrius just did? Because that cue ball. You're going to talk about mental? Because well, that, cue, yeah. that cue ball is not where they wanted it, right? The cue ball is not where they wanted it. So what's happening at that moment is a ton of negativity is just in embedded into their entire mental system and body and my tip is where that ball ends up is exactly where you have to shoot it from and that's it no other thought about it don't think it's didn't go where you wanted it to because that's not a positive thought just go there it is that's where i get to shoot it from now and if it's a little more challenging than it would have been if it had ended where you wanted it to, well, so be it. But that can't be part of your mental process is, oh, no, look where my cue ball is. You have to get rid of that. And yeah, I say, think that this is where I think it that, is. This is where I shoot it from. I think there's a little bit where sometimes you just have to purge the mistake you just made and kind of like shake that one off. But you're right. I played a session, Rob. It makes me think of this. I played a session with a guy last Sunday where if I played him safe, he dug deep and found a way to get a hit on these shots that were not easy to hit. And uh -huh. he his, his percentage to hit the ball was probably like 90%. Like he hit a lot oh, of nice. difficult hits. Meanwhile, yeah. meanwhile, whenever he hooked himself – He'd hook himself and have a one railer and airball the thing and give me ball in hand because it's like so it's like because he would be so irritated with himself he that he's even in that spot. And he'd just be like he would just get down and like airball the thing. It's like I got ball in hand four or five times when he hooked himself and maybe once when I was playing safe all day. It's just right. food for thought. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is exactly kind of what I'm talking about. That's that's what it is. He was positive most of the time when you saved him. But when he put it there, not where he wanted it. All yeah, of a sudden, and once again, some of that rolls up the controls you. And if your mind's controlled, your body's controlled in pool. That's it. So, uh, yeah, that's my tip. Well, I, I had a tip, but I'm going to switch it off of that too. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go off of yours too. So this is going to be something visual, of course, because I just drew a picture, and I'm going to put this here so everybody can see it. This is the cue ball. And I'm playing, uh, I'm playing somebody eight ball. Uh, and you can see here on here. Let me get rid of this. Our cue ball is right. Our cue ball is right here, right. And this person's playing stripes, and they're shooting this ball into the a nice little angle into this corner pocket, and they shoot the shot, 
trying to get up to this stripe right here and the, to play it right here because it doesn't go into this corner. So basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to shoot this or they're trying to shoot their cue ball here, make this ball into this pocket, bring their cue ball here, here, and here inside this eight ball, which was right in the center of the table. Okay. And he shoots he shoots the shot. And at the end of it, I'm like, you know, you know, we're just messing around. We're just playing. And I'm like, why did you shoot that shot? He's like, well, because I, I, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to run into the eight ball. So I, I put a bunch of inside spin on it so that it would go to the left side of the eight ball. And basically, and you know, I'm sure Demetrius is like, well, screaming right now. And you probably are too, Rob, too. But the idea is like, what you're talking about is, well, you're talking about you, you played a bad positional shot, right? And you're kind of shaking your head. And most people would chalk this right up here to uh, hitting the shot bad. But he didn't hit the ball bad. That shot's impossible, right? <laughs> Anytime, you, if you put that much inside spin on the ball, like they're thinking, all right, well, I have a bunch of inside spin on this ball, right? So it's going to go into this really deep into this rail. And then it's just going to go perfectly right on the left side of the ball. But no, the left spin just doesn't go away. Like it doesn't hit the first rail and it's like, all right, I'm done working. The left spin is still there. So what ends up happening is it, it yeah. hits a second rail and then it lengthens out the second yeah, time. Straight high English probably would have got him where he wanted to go. With no spin well, you, at you, all. You just can't get there. You can't get yeah, there. The shot's not available. The shot is not available. It doesn't matter with high spin at all. This shot is not available. You can't make this ball and get on the left side of this eight ball to come at it like this. It just doesn't work. Yeah, right? yeah, you have yeah. to come. You have to come all the way around the ball to be able to get into that ball. So like the idea is they're like, well, I can envision it in my head so I know that it can happen. And really, <laughs> I had to sit down with them and I had, I had to sit down with them with that shot. And we had to shoot it like 20 times for them to realize that that shot just is not possible. It's not available. The left-hand spin that you're going to put on yeah. the ball so is just not going to get you. Times. Yeah. I made him shoot it enough to realize that that shot wasn't even available to begin with. Good for you. And then the second time around was like, well, how do we actually make it work? Right. Because how do we actually because it doesn't do you any good to just realize that the shot's not available. You actually have to figure out what to do on top of that to, to get yourself to a point where you can do anything with it. So we sat down and we kind of worked on it to where you go around the eight ball. We kind of did it where you, you draw off of it and kind of come up, you know, yeah. uh, where we, we shoot the shot more like this and come all the way around table like this. Okay. And then we had another one where we tried to just get here like this. And we, we messed around with it a bunch of different ways. And then we eventually ended up settling that you got to come all the way around the table for that shot. But going off of what your tip was which is you know uh shake it off yeah sure shake shake off the shot because wherever you're at that's where you're shooting the shot from but you have to look at it at some point in time you have to have some sort of like self-realization as to what the shot you just shot is and why it went wrong did you did it go wrong because you hit it like a donkey or did it go wrong because your understanding of how that shot works is just completely not right <laughs> and at the end of the day like i think a lot of people's especially like the the let's say the 450 to even 650 type of uh, as high up as 650 Fargo. I see this stuff happen a lot, even at that range too. And I, I catch myself doing it. That's how we learn the game. Right. But the, you, you, you have this understanding of, and I call it the pretty girl effect, right? You, we, as men like to think that every pretty girl we have a chance with, and that's like every shot on pool. Like every, every shot is like a pretty girl and we have oh, a shot with the beer, Nate. Yes, exactly. Every, every shot is like a pretty girl. And we think that we have a shot with them. But realistically, like the things that we think that we can do as far as like it just doesn't work. Right. It just it just will not work. And you have to realize exactly what you can do and exactly what you can't do to be able to give yourself some sort of realistic shot at this game. So this shot is not available. It's just not a shot that's possible. You you can do it if you if you're if that object ball isn't there, like you could just kick at it two rails, uh, like lag it two rails in between there. But once you once you introduce that object ball, you 
the the way that the, the cue ball is going to travel down that tangent line, it's going to change the entire angle that you're going into that rail with. So it, it's just not an available shot. So if if the shot is if you're play if you're playing by yourself and something didn't work out the way that you thought it would, this is like the perfect example of the three times drill that Demetrius does. Set it up, set it back up again, not so that you can try to hit it perfect. Set it back up 10 times to find out if the shot is even available and what it would take to make it available if it is available. And then you can decide whether or not the, the way that you have the, 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 the breakdown from where you think you have to shoot the shot and the way the shot actually has to be hit makes it a shot worth shooting. Yeah, I think that, I think that when you set up a layout again and again and you work on each transition and try to figure out the right way to run through the balls – to where you can do it the same way multiple times in a row. If you if you set up a layout and you run through it, and every time you run through it, sometimes you run out, sometimes you don't, sometimes you end up in that pocket, sometimes you have to bank that ball, and every time it's a different, oh, this time I got to get straight, I'll draw it back, and this time I got to spin around there. Like, I don't know, man. I like to practice a run until I can run it out the same way again and again. And, yeah. and by doing it that way, you learn more by doing one run that way than you ever right. would. By going through rack after rack and just every time you miss, you break the balls and try it over. And it's yeah. just, I don't, I don't, I agree. I agree. And now that's fine some of the time, but I think some of the time you got to do these deep dives like Nate's talking about to learn what shots work, but also what the percentages are. That's yeah. a huge deal. Yeah. You had, I think, I think there's something earlier I just, on age, uh, and, and somebody had asked the question on here, is it harder to teach an older player, you know, uh, give lessons to an older player? And uh, I was, I think I was 65 when I spent eight hours with uh, Tyler uh, Steyer uh, uh, teaching me centered edge aiming uh, uh, fundamentals. And I came away, I went in blank minded, like, okay, so what if I've been playing pool for 50 years? I'm zero right now. And I went into it like that. So I did take a lot away from that and use some of that. I've incorporated some of that into certain shots in the game now. And not all the shots, not everything I do is based on that, but uh, definitely some positions on the table, I immediately fall into that centered edge type of an aiming thing. So no, it, so it, it, it is possible even for someone with uh, a fairly high degree of experience at an older age to absolutely new, learn uh, new things for sure, but you have to be open-minded. Yeah. All right. I, I just think that at some point in time, like a lot of people just, you know, I think that there's a lot of uh, people that just play their games, uh, with a, a glorified understanding of how the game works and they shoot a shot and we're like, well, you know, I just hit it better. I, you know, I'd be right here with the cue ball if I had just hit it better. And the, because of that excuse that they make for themselves of the generic, oh, I guess I just hit it bad. You, you really lose out on a fundamental ability to understand a shot that you clearly don't understand. <laughs> and giving yourself that excuse of I just hit it bad will, will stop you from being able to experience the game in, I, I guess, the best light that you possibly can, which is really, you're almost like a, like a toddler kind of like, the way I look at pool when I'm playing is like, I'm like a toddler trying to like, wiggle his way through life, learning everything that I possibly can, or, you know, I at least try to do that. And when, when you, when you just chalk it up to, I hit it bad, you're losing out on a, a really awesome opportunity to learn something that you don't truly understand. And I think that's a, that's what the fun part about this game is, at least for me, is like, it, once you start including 
throw and cut induced throw and deflection and oh, yeah. spin Put and velocities. The game, the game just the game just becomes infinitely complex. And if you just chalk everything up, every bad shot up to I hit it bad, you're just losing out on so much of that complexity. And, and the truly like the understanding of it, it's it's great. All right, yeah. Demetrius, go ahead. What's your tip? Yeah, and I'll tell you what. So both of your guys' tips, you know, uh, it has to do with, you know, you're talking about being open-minded when you come to train, uh, Rob, and it's like the same thing. Uh, when it comes to the game, there's um, – if you promote yourself to expert, once people think that they know how to play the game, like, I know what I'm doing, I got this, I know what to do. As soon as you start thinking that, your curiosity goes away. And you start creating expectation where you start getting outraged about the mistakes you make and how could I miss that shot? Anyway, so so all that stuff and then talking about getting into zone, uh, talking about all these things, uh, listen to the next pod I do with Josh. I think it's going to be cool. But anyway, my tip of the week is going to be an easy one. Like Nike, just do it. So here's the thing. I, as I talk, If I had to say, like, what is the biggest leak of most pool players? You might think, well, you know, it has to do with their fundamentals or it has to do with their cue ball. And those things are all big. But, like, the biggest league I see is is players creating mental barriers between themselves and the, the next group of players that they should be playing with. So, for example, I talked to a gentleman last night. Huh. And this guy, he's about a 540 Fargo rate. And he plays in tournaments where, you know, maybe there's – a lot of local leagues and a lot of local tournaments and kind of rural Minnesota where a lot of the guys he plays, he's one of the better players. He does get to play some guys that are 600 once in a while, but it's usually in a league setting or super short set. Now here we are in Minneapolis, less than a two hour, maybe a two hour drive away. Every week we have tournaments where there's, you know, multiple 700 plus Fargo rate tournament, you know, players in the field. Uh, we have Friday night tournaments, Saturday afternoon tournaments, Sunday afternoon tournaments, open tournaments, all these things. Two hours away from this gentleman where you can play all the, the pool you want against players that are 600, 650, 700 and higher. And, you know, when I was talking to him and he was kind of explaining why he didn't play more. And here's a guy who's, by the way, single, no kids, weekends off, you know, professional income. I'm like, what? What are you doing? And, I'm, and he's like, well, you know, it's a drive and, you know, the hotel would cost money and it's expensive to go up there. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, you'd make friends and somebody's got an extra room and you could come up. And I'm like, like, this is doesn't seem like a big deal. And what I realized was it's I think it's more of a big step in your mind. Like I know. And so then I told him the story of my first pro tournament and my first pro tournament was not until I was in my 20s. I never played a tournament at the pro level when I was 17 or 18. And I looked back at why. And it was like, in my mind, it was like this thing where they're out there and up here, and it's just this big step. And then when I played, what I found out was you just sign up, fly out, show up and play. Like, it's just not a, it's not a big step. It's like really, really an easy step. But if you don't take it, it could feel something bigger than it is. So the, the point I'm trying to make is, is that, there's always that next level of players that are, you know, like oh, if you're a 600, where do the 650s play? If the 650s, where do the 730s play? Or, you know, whatever. It's like, what what is that next step? And what do you have? And, and what I would say is I feel like it's easy to fall into this mentality that I'm just going to practice and get better. And then when I'm there, then then I'll kind of 
kind of get, but it's either like we want to wait till like we're more competitive, but it's like in pool, there's no pool scout. There's no talent scout. That's going to be like looking around and being like, Hey, you're hitting them pretty good. We're going to invite you to this. Like that doesn't really happen. Like you kind of have to invite yourself, elbow your way in at the table and say, Hey, you know what? I belong here. And if I don't really belong here quite yet, I'm going to run it a few times and in a year or two, I, I will. You kind of have to not necessarily fake it till you make it, but you kind of have to invite yourself and be assertive because nobody's going to, it's a competitive world. Everyone's trying to advance themselves. Nobody's going to wait and try to invite you. You you can't look for people to invite you and include you and welcome you and give you, here's, here's your win. It's like, you kind of got to go get it. So I just feel like listening, if you don't have regular opportunities to get in the ring against better players and challenge yourself, um, then you kind of have to say, what are we waiting for? And just, just, and so the, my, my best example is Mason Cook. I mean, nobody invited him at the pro level. Nobody said, hey, Mason, we hear that you really love pool. You should start playing. It's like he just, he's going out, he's playing the events, he's getting better. Yeah. Now he's being invited to a world championship and he's cashing in US Opens. And it's like nobody invited him. He invited himself and he didn't apologize. Mm -hmm. I feel like you've kind of got to be a little assertive with getting yourself into the, to the next level. That's my tip. Oh, yeah. For sure. Or you could just be that person. How many times have we heard this? I already got the game figured out. I just need to practice more and get my consistency up. Yeah. Well, and people you're, trying to – You know, people just trying to, born to play the game. I mean, well, there's and there's, guys there are just born to play. Well, there's a lot of people that want to practice in their basement so that they don't have to go through that phase where they get beat up and lose a bunch. But it's like, no, no, no. You can't no, practice no, in your no. basement and avoid loss. You got to no, go out and pick no. up. You got to go get your teeth in. Yeah, you got to get your lumps. Yeah. I got to. I got to stop. So I get. I was supposed to be a short one. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We know how well, that goes. We're perfect. <laughs> we're perfect. We can wrap it up the podcast there. Uh, unless anybody else has anything to uh, to say or to get off their chest, we are all good to go. Anyone? Big fish, small pond mentality. I, I don't I don't even know that it was about a guy who was feeding off being the best player and look at me and didn't want that illusion to pop. That happens. But I think it was more of just – it's more about inertia. It's more about inertia is that when you're not moving, it can feel like a big step to go out and play at a level that you haven't played at or drive further than you've driven before or sign up for a tournament with better players than you've played it before. It can feel emotionally like there's some inertia, like there's a big step. But what I'm telling you is once you do it, You'll laugh at how simple it is. Just go, show up, and play them. And if you don't start winning immediately, stick around a year or two and watch what happens. Oh yeah, yeah. good. And yep, that's a thing. All right, okay. Let's man. close it out there then. We're gonna wrap. Why it do up? you keep wrap, Rob? What are you doing to that shaft? Thanks. This is oh, a that, shaft. That pool hue. The pool hue. This this is a uh, very high def deflection shaft and i have realized after playing you know 10 years with a shaft that didn't deflect much i'm much better when i play with one that does because <laughs> that's okay. just the way, that's the way i learned <laughs> all right well we're going to close out with a a sweet ad and uh thanks everybody for tuning in see you next week thanks everybody thanks Dan Who's ready to do a Manscaped ad? Jim, are you ready to do a Manscaped ad? I came prepared. My balls are thanking me. <laughs> oh, Jim, the battery just died on it. I, I didn't even know the batteries could die on this thing. I've been using this thing for 
four and a half weeks and the battery just died. What terrible timing. Four and, four and a half, and a half weeks. weeks. Either, either, either you've got very small balls or you don't grow hair very quickly then. <laughs> every single I have to, I have, have to, I, ha I have to recharge mine after every side. Oh, <laughs> you like shaving the moon? Yeah. yeah. Ah. You gotta, get in, you gotta get in everywhere. That's what the little torch is for. Well, yeah. That's what the little torch is for. You gotta go, you gotta go deep, buddy. You gotta go deep. You gotta Trust dig me. real deep, I don't you? That's for you too. The ladies will, the ladies will yeah. thank you. Your wives will thank you. Your girlfriends will thank you. Your boyfriends will thank you. And Even Rob will thank you. Trust me. Bless the manscape. There you go. I tried to convince Rob to sing for us. Rob completely write, like wrote an entire song about the when manscape. When the manscape comes back at the next episode, I will sing. Well, this might be the last time because we got to talk about it, but this is yeah. going to be the last opportunity for people to support the podcast by I'm getting themselves the manscape. The lawnmower 4.0. This thing is amazing. Designed for groin grooming. It's no double, no, no double passing with this once over and you're done. You don't need to go back and check again. And the best bit about it is it makes it look a little bit bigger when you're finished. Refine there. the gentleman in you. Sometimes you need that, Jim. Manscaped. Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need that little bit of extra help. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I'm one of the first people who get to try the lawnmower 4.0. And how ah. does Alicia like it, Nate? She hasn't kept her hands off me since since getting it. Um she actually got fired from her job and I had to lock the door just to keep her out right now. It's crazy. The craftsman and detail of the 4.0 is the next level. Manscaped engineers the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredible comfort grooming experience. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to our advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving the boys. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> the upgraded trimmer includes a multifunctional on off switch, which would turn on if the battery wasn't completely dead from using it for so long. Mine's on. There you Don't have it. Get the crop. The crop preserver. preserver. Lots of other fun. Lots of other and products. Chafing. Lots of other products. Lots of other products. The upgraded trimmer includes a multifunctional on/off switch that can engage a traveling lock. It also gives the ability to turn on the 400K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths, sizes one through four. So if you want yourself a certain length for, you know, the boys, you can get it. Did I mention Too wireless charging? Too short. Too short. And then there's the ball toner. There you go. Did I mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system allows electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Men, if you're shaving with Think the same long. nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it wrong. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. That's <laughs> true. Not, 
Well, not your own pubes, anyway. <laughs> Good job. Chief. Just saying. I'm just saying. It's time to get your own ball, hair, and body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance your confidence with some nice, smooth boys. Get yourself 20% off plus free shipping with the code QITUPPOD at manscaped.com. Check the chat. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. And what's the tagline, Rob? What's the tagline, Rob? Your balls will thank you. Thanks, Your Jim. balls will thank you. There you go. Someone's someone's paying attention around here. <laughs>